0: This is the Ned Group Investments podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. Our next speaker is Nick Balkan. I always really enjoy sitting down with Nick um, during our due diligences that we conduct with each of our managers uh, during the year. He always robustly defends his views um, and we do throw very challenging questions at him. And I always walk away from these meetings with a new perspective or at least gaining a different perspective um, in certain times. And we can touch on one of those particular issues that we did discuss quite robustly later on. Nick is one of the PMs on our stable fund. And our stable fund, again, is a slightly riskier fund. It has a maximum of 30% equity allowed in the fund. We can also use various allocations to commodities and offshore to just extend the risk profile of the fund, but also position the fund to defend itself against inflation. And that is the key objective of the fund, is to deliver an inflation plus return over roading three years, but then to protect capital over roading one years as well. So Nick's going to take us through his presentation today, which is managing inflation. And I'll turn over to Nick. Cool, Doug. You
1: want me to challenge you again?
0: Um, I don't think it's a, a
1: riskier fund, actually. <laughs> I think it's a, a it's a fund that gives you more flexibility, and I think it's a great way to have more flexibility to utilise some equities. But obviously, it's different for different people. But you know, having that equity component, you can see the benefit in the in the current year from having that equity component. So, yeah, it's always great. I always ask to present when we got the the great one-year numbers, and I leave William and others to do. <laughs> the poorer numbers, I'm happy to report really strong numbers over the one-year period, really strong in absolute terms and really strong in real terms. I think that really excites us. And it was largely across the board that that caused it. But also not on the table is actually our 15-month return, which includes COVID. And I think that's even a more phenomenal number for stable. I think stable protected when we needed with COVID. And I think it also went up when we needed So I think a great one-year number. What we're as proud of, obviously, is the longer-term numbers. A very stable, strong performance, both in absolute and real terms. The ranking also is a a very good recorder over time. So generating around nine nine to nine and a half over three and five years handsomely above inflation is just something that uh, we think is very important, as, as Doug says. So where, where did it come from? I think uh, we like to do contributions rather than attributions. It's important because, you know, the way we work out our portfolios and balance our portfolios, the interrelationship between the different parts are important. And therefore, we think contribution is a better reflection of an analysis of this table fund. Over the last three months, you'll see that equities generally was the the biggest contributor, both domestic and foreign. And interestingly enough, uh, interest bearing over the last three months was actually a negative contributor. If you look at the one-year performance, you can see actually it was an across the board. The highest contributor was the bonds, largely the SA bonds, and I'll take you through why that happened a bit later. But then obviously the foreign assets performed exceptionally well, and the JSE equities also contributed. So it was a a kind of across-the-board performance which led to it. There is a bit of help from the calendar effect, obviously, but as I said, the the three-and-five year, it does take into account both the downs and the ups. So, where did it come from? Very briefly, we think that the low equities in South Africa was a good thing. Property, obviously, making sure we're in the right properties and a low property weight helped. SA bonds, we've spoken about quite extensively, and you saw on the one year number being a a very big contributor. And then the full allocation to foreign equities, I'd probably even give two ticks to. If you go look at the one year performance on our Ford Global Equity Fund, it's just a phenomenal number, generating 60% in dollars. That's just a crazy number. And yes, there is some calendar effects. And yes, the whole market did well, but it did well relative also. So we've always been asked the question, you know, what happens with your big allocation to foreign? Um, How does that impact you in the RAND strength environment? Well, it's come through very well in the current environment. We've always said that there are lots of opportunities there. And it did happen that we selected the good enough foreign equities to outpace, I guess, the, the RAND strength. The biggest negative remains that low resource weight, which continues to, I guess, be a thorn in our side, which we think will be the right call in the long term. This feels like uh how we are kind of having to navigate the world markets right now. I think this rapids and the picture is best illustrated to show that we're canoeing on the top of the rapids. We don't know where that bottom is, but we definitely need to proceed with caution. And absolutely, the stable funds proceeded with caution on a continuous basis. But I do think that you just need to be very cautious right now in how you position. The question might come is how do you reconcile the the large equity weight with the caution? I'll hopefully take that into account and talk about it a little bit later. A, A nice, I guess, a photo after the previous rapids there's always fish in the sea you just need to know how to catch them and the way we're catching them in the stable fund right now is in the global equity fund we still think we're a very small drop in the ocean and we have lots of ability to find stocks that aren't really linked to the economic cycle um, so in good and bad equity markets we're not playing the go-go stocks that i guess need to have the market continue up to to perform and then locally you can have stocks you know it's always been Ford's way to not always have the highest expected return stocks. So another way to do it is to have a stock like SPA in your equity allocation. It might not give you the biggest return, but it will give you a, I guess, risk-adjusted, very good return and outperform cash, meaning you have high conviction of their earnings. You have high conviction that they'll generate earnings growth. They might not have the fastest earnings growth, but therefore you still know it will do well and, and, and a good building block for the stable fund. I feel like I'm writing a a book with this slide. It's going to be the the crash of 2023 or 2022, um, where someone's going to reference this tweet. Actually, before I presented, I actually went and checked it wasn't a meme because I, I couldn't believe that the ECB would tweet this on Valentine's Day. And I'll read it just to make it even more impactful. Roses are red, violets are blue. We'll keep financing conditions favorable till the crisis is through. Is that not just crazy that the ECB would find it in their mandate to tweet something like that? So just shows you the crazy world that we're in, and it makes investors feel bulletproof. So why are they feeling bulletproof, and what's a proxy for that bulletproof? You could use the PE of the market, but another way to look at it is the high-yield debt market. So this basically is just the yield that you'll receive for investing in very risky or deemed to be riskier debt. And you can see obviously the sparks are around the GFC, there was a spark around COVID, but you can see that we're now at the lowest point on the chart right now. The money has flooded into the market in many different ways and people are generally just complacent. And I think it's very important to know in how you build the portfolio to know that that complacency is set in. So some of the reasons for that complacency, it's quite a busy chart. So I'll try and explain it quite quickly. The three bottom lines, the three, I guess, red, darker red lines, are the disposable income that a U.S. consumer has. So it would be wages and rentals and other that effectively are their overall disposable income. The pinkish line is actually the government subsidies that are passed through to the consumer. Why that's important is it's probably not the best chart to show how big that spike is, but that pink chart has added a trillion dollars or more to the consumer's wallet. That was fine when things were really bad, but as it says, it's very hard to take away the punch bowl and disposable income is unnaturally high. So we spend a lot of our time thinking about the base of disposable income and we do worry that people are looking at the current disposable income and thinking it is sustainable. So there's no doubt that things are good, but are they that good, especially with that other line which is the unemployment rate coming down substantially. So that's why we've got a a positive bounce back in some of the big developed markets with the punch pole still remaining, whether it's the Fed or the government passing through stimulus. And I think that's the key thing is thinking through how that unwinds. I think for a long time, it was just filtering into real assets. You know, we'd say it was in the stock prices, it was in the property prices. As you can see, the stimulus is actually filtering into the real economy. I like having these longer term charts. You can see the 2008, 2009 crisis where everyone thought things were steamy. The retail sales line right now is largely a parabolic line upwards, which should scare anyone when they're trying to work out what the, I guess, sustainable retail sales are. And that's just because the money has come in, as I said, at the same time that things are getting better. So that should be a very scary chart to anyone trying to think through the sustainability of earnings. And that's really passing through into the real economy. I heard the previous speaker talking about McDonald's. Well, the lumber price has shot up to a point in the last few weeks that has added an additional $25,000 to a house just to build it in the US. I think those are the real impacts, whether it's McDonald's, whether it's the real impact of building a house, not only the price of a house, that starts to lead to inflation. But you've got these two big waves coming at each other and hitting. One is the stimulus that I spoke about, but then on the other hand, you've got demographics which are actually very poor, people are aging, and you've also got tech development, which is obviously your iPhone is getting better and technology is getting better, which is deflationary to a certain extent. So there's these two big waves hitting each other, and there'll be short-term inflation, absolutely. The question is, is the genie out of the box? Is inflation getting out of control-type thinking? so. We obviously think that the risk of the genie coming out of the box is not zero and therefore we need to be worried, but it is balance. You need to have a balance in a portfolio. So I think the key thing there is make sure you've got balance. As I said, the best way to protect at the start, I was making a, a bit of a, a joke around equities, but equities with pricing power is the place to be through the medium term to make sure that you're keeping up with that inflation. The good news is it can do both in good and bad times. The equities with pricing power do well. And then obviously on the bond side of things, we think that SA bonds are offering very good real yields. Where you are in the curve is very important, and I'll take you through where we are. We continue to have a majority of our portfolio in the mid-duration bonds, which is the 186, which is in roughly the five-year area. And then we have the gold as the diversifier, which hasn't done as well as we had hoped over the last six to 12 months, but actually still remains a, a very important piece. As I said, on the other side of the chart, you'll see it's Ford's way to not always go for the highest return. It might sound counterintuitive. We can fill our boots with 40 year uh, government bonds or 2040 government bonds, should I say, but largely it comes with a huge amount of risk. So we'd rather go into the belly of the curve, You know, maybe earn seven and a half percent, we've looked at the inflation rate, and over that period, we have security of capital, we're gonna get our money back, and that's something that we'd rather secure versus going too far out, and I guess taking on too much risk given the SA government balance sheet. Some of the global themes, I just wanted to put it there so you can think about it in company terms, but it's always been Ford's way to buy these big global themes that have lots of legs that we can hold on to and own these companies for long term. And as I said, it's been a phenomenal year for the Global Equity Fund. We don't have only the go-go stocks. A stock, even in the technology side, called RPG, is a laser business that effectively provides the shovels to the technology industry, which is basically they facilitate the technology industry. That's where we want to be because we're not really calling which technology will win. But those are the key themes that we're looking at, which I won't harp on given the time. This is also what I've alluded to. Uh, I don't think you can ever give a table that will truly represent the reality of the scenarios, but I always like to put it there just so you can get a feel for what we're doing. We think that in a high inflation world or a low inflation world, we think that you'll benefit from having those equities with pricing power. In the hyperinflation world, gold becomes a great diversifier, bonds not so much. But in the other world where you have deflation, The bonds are the ones that come to the head and actually make the return. So I think it's having this balance of gold, bonds and equities with pricing power and obviously the Rand hedge also adds an additional element to it. If I turn to positioning, I'm just going to talk very briefly about positioning. It's remained largely unchanged over the year in my mind. The foreign remains full allocation. We have seen a slight tick up in the domestic equities which has moved up as we've seen some opportunities come through in the sell off. And then the bonds remain very high in our minds because of the great opportunity. This doesn't add to the risk in our minds because a lot of the bonds are in the belly of the curve, as I said, and the capital is coming back to us in year five. And we think that there's a lot of security over that time period, especially relative to inflation. Just in closing, I think it remains exactly what I said, a very well diversified portfolio. I'll flick to the the top holdings, which show you exactly what I was talking about. 25% sits in that R186. Then we have the two global funds and then new gold and other equities nearer the bottom. So I think that was largely a kind of whirlwind tour of the stable fund. And I'll leave a few minutes in closing for some questions.
0: Thanks, Nick. It was really interesting one of the big components in your fund which you just alluded to was government bonds and then i guess on the other side of things you guys are expecting inflation to work its way through so philip in the previous presentation was showing us the ilb or the inflation linked bond curve and the break even spreads there and he was saying that there's a lot of value in the kind of three to five year range and that's obviously the type of period where you guys with a stable fund are looking to outperform inflation. So are you guys starting to you obviously have your your longer position in nominals. In the short end, are you starting to see some value in inflation, Linkers? Are you adding those to the portfolio?
1: No, I think there's an implied inflation expectation in a bond anyway. So in our minds, the one eight six already builds in quite a substantial inflation. And remember that's the cumulative inflation over the the life of the bond. And we do think that inflation will still remain under control for quite a while. So when you work out the life of the bond inflation, you still get a better real yield out of a mid-duration bond than you would in an inflation link. So yeah, that's how we see it. The the real yield on an inflation link has actually come down to a point that we don't think compensates you enough for the benefit of the inflation, actually.
0: And your gold positioning, is that influenced by offshore interest rates at all? And is there a point, you know, obviously we've seen the 10-year, U.S. Treasury is starting to rise recently. Is there a point at which you start to reduce that or is that purely in the portfolio um, as a defensive um, against against um, inflation?
1: I think that's an important question. I think largely it's, it's to protect us against that, that rapid that I showed you, that mm. real big downside right now. It's in the portfolio for different reasons at different times, but we largely think it's against the hyperinflation, against that real risk right now of a a big dislocation in market, the the real yield ticking up in the short term is not too bad. Although if it gets um, a lot higher, um, then it does start hindering the gold. But in our mind, it's it's it only starts hindering uh, gold prices when the real yield starts ticking up even further than we are. So it's for the tail risk as we stand right now that mm. the gold position, rather than. I guess, the the minor inflation hedge that it is. But yes, the cost of ownership of gold has gone up.
0: Yeah, certainly with real yields being less negative, I guess. The other part of the portfolio, we have one final question, is your SA equity component. Mm. And on that slide, you said that you guys were positive about SA Inc. stocks, Mm. but then you had a negative against commodities. So to me, I'd like you to unpack that because... Traditionally, SA Inc. has been strongly correlated with commodities. So yes. it seems a bit at odds. So yes. maybe you could just talk us, talk me through it. Cool.
1: So I think the SA Inc. component, as you saw from the last slide, is still a relatively small component. Mm. So what we've done is in that SA Inc. of the 12% JSE equity, you can see the SA growth stocks, which we've only pulled out the stocks exposed to South Africa, are 7% of the funds. So that would exclude Richmond and globally diversified stocks on SA. Market, So it's still a relatively low holding 7% of SA only equities in the SA fund. What we were saying is we were just finding more opportunities to find discrete companies that have sold off. You know, uh, there were many stocks that were selling off in COVID that in good and bad times whether South Africa does well, they just went too far. Mm. So it's more discreet opportunities that we were finding rather than we think it's all off to the races again in, in South Africa.
0: Thanks, Nick. That's been great. And I hope you guys have all enjoyed the first segment. Ned Group Collective Investments is an authorized collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Ned Group Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit nedgroupinvestments.co.za.